You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. No let up again today from those opposed to the controversial LNG pipeline project outside of Houston, B.C. Demonstrators are keeping up the pressure this weekend. And once again, activists are targeting rail lines today. This is a live shot of Hebb Avenue and Renfrew in East Vancouver as hundreds continue to sit on the tracks in support of the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chief's opposition to the coastal gas link pipeline. Nadia Stewart begins our coverage. Marching east on Grandview Highway, over 150 protesters temporarily shut down traffic, making their way from nearby John Hendry Park to the CN train tracks near Renfrew Street and Hebb Avenue, setting up a blockade. We're putting pressure on the government and on uh, Coastal GasLink, and we're letting people know that we're not going to sit idly by while genocide is being committed against Indigenous people. What I really have brought with me in my heart, in my being, in my mind, is that, that you come and understand me as a, one of the first peoples. Organizers say the plan is to take up space here for as long as possible standing in solidarity with other blockades elsewhere in Canada. Blockades in Ontario and Quebec affecting via rail passenger train service nationwide, as well as freight operations. I'm down here to support them. This action, a show of support for Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs opposed to the coastal gas link natural gas pipeline in northern B.C., in a statement, CN Rail announced it has obtained court orders to have the protesters removed. That includes this latest blockade in Vancouver. But protesters are not backing down. We'll be here until we can't be here any longer. In a preemptive move, BC Ferries also obtained an injunction to keep any solidarity protests from blocking its terminal. Instead, a spokesperson says they're creating designated spaces so people can gather. Service was disrupted at the Tawasin Terminal last month. It's still unclear what action protesters plan on taking in the days to come. Nadia Stork, Global News. With protests across the country grinding rail traffic to a halt, a lot is riding on face-to-face meetings between the federal and provincial governments and First Nations groups. Paul Johnson has that part of the story. Here's proof that the protest movement that started in northern B.C. has now forced the entire nation to pay attention. A glimpse of federal Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller walking down a snowy road in Ontario to negotiate with the Mohawk Nation, who continue to block a critical railway in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en. All of Canada is hurting. The economy is uh, slowing down. Everyone knows the reports. We'll just keep blockading! 200 kilometres away, another protest has literally stopped one train on its tracks. Central Canada's rail system remains paralyzed with a growing mountain of undelivered freight and tens of thousands of via rail passengers seeing their trips cancelled. The movement is inspiring new voices who see the historic conflict through a new lens. It's really, really important for settlers to understand um, the ways in which we have actually been ignorant in our own interests interests of resource extraction, pipeline developments, these are settler economies and we build settler economies on the backs of indigenous peoples. 
BC's Ministry of Indigenous Relations says they too are working to set up a meeting between Minister Scott Fraser and hereditary chiefs here. But no word yet on when that's going to take place. News reporters were kept out of that meeting between Ottawa and the Mohawks, so it's not immediately clear what was discussed, though no breakthrough appears to have happened. Here was Minister Miller afterward. I can't guarantee what the outcome will be. Um, it isn't mine to judge. Paul Johnson, Global News. RCMP are defending their actions after a video emerged showing an officer pointing a gun during a coastal gas link protest in northern B.C. Take your gun off of me! The video posted by a clan of the Wet'suwet'en shows an emergency response team member pointing their firearm at Indigenous people who were on a tower at the camp near Houston, B.C. On February 7th, four people were arrested that day, including the person who filmed the footage. RCMP say the member was only using the scope of the rifle and was not pointing at any protesters. But one woman on the tower tells Global News she and others felt threatened. RCMP say they anticipate their actions will be reviewed. The province's more than seven-month-long forestry strike is over. The United Steelworkers Union has approved a deal with Western Forest Products. Today, the membership voted 81.9% to ratify a tentative agreement reached with the company earlier this week. Highlights of the new collective agreement include a 12.5% wage increase over the remaining four years and four months, increased benefits and controls on the company's drug and alcohol policy. Last week, B.C.'s Labour Minister reappointed two special mediators to help to the two sides to deal, get the deal done. It's unclear when the 3,000 forest workers will return to work, but the union will be speaking with Western regarding operational startup plans. Mounties in northern B.C. are investigating after two commercial vehicle safety enforcement vehicles were torched. The arson attacks targeting two separate CVSE trucks happened at around 3 o'clock Friday morning in Fort Nelson. One truck was set on fire outside a CVSE officer's home. The other torched outside a local hotel. The Ministry of Transportation says no one was hurt in either incident. It's unclear why the vehicles were targeted or if it may be related to recent commercial vehicle enforcement in the area. A person was killed after being hit by a vehicle in Surrey last night. RCMP say the pedestrian was struck at the intersection of Highway 10 and 183rd Street at about 8 o'clock. The victim died at the scene. The driver is cooperating with the police investigation. A stabbing on Vancouver's Granville Strip sent four people to hospital this morning. Police were called to the Cabana Lounge at around 3 o'clock. All four people were found with non-life-threatening stab wounds. The nightclub is the same place where 23-year-old Cal Winder Thind was working as a promoter when he was killed in 2018 after trying to break up a fight. Police say they're still investigating today's stabbing and no, custod no suspects are in custody. A major search and rescue operation was launched in Chilliwack last night when three teens went down a cliff off Crimson Ridge near Cultus. Police say there was a party on Promontory Heights when one teen ended up down a 40-foot embankment. Two others who tried to help got into trouble as well. Chilliwack firefighters, police, paramedics and search and rescue all responded, rescuing the three who suffered minor injuries. Residents say it's a known party spot. 
Canada Place is one of the most iconic tourist sites in Vancouver, helping to welcome the world to the city. But 34 years after it was built and a decade after the 2010 Olympics, the sidewalk is crumbling. And it's not just unsightly. As Jill Bennett reports, some are also calling it dangerous. There are plenty of broken tiles, no shortage of pooling water. So much in this stretch of sidewalk, people have to walk with extreme caution. Shattered in many places, probably could use some repair. (laughs) You have to look around a lot. Terrible. This area in front of Canada Place is where a lot of people get their first feel for Vancouver, arriving from the cruise ship terminal, on the Canada Line, or getting in or out of a cab. And the sidewalk is a mess. Wow. We showed Vancouver City Councillor and current Deputy Mayor Sarah Kirby Young video of the sidewalk. She brought a motion to council a few months ago, asking to get back to basics. It's been really tough to get this council to focus on those basics. Um, I don't know if it's because they're more excited by some of the bigger global issues, but at heart, we are a city, local, municipal council, and our job is to take care of things that impact people's daily lives. There are some places where attempts have been made to patch the holes, but that doesn't help, especially for someone who uses a wheelchair. A little challenging. Uh, last week alone, I was kind of spit out from my chair a couple of times. I ended up on my butt. He says he's seen the sidewalk here deteriorate during the past two years. Yeah, it's pretty dangerous, actually. I'm, I'm surprised no one else has been more seriously injured. Bottom line, it comes down to budget um, and what we prioritize spending our money on. And to me, there's nothing more important than just taking care of the basics. Can I get a slip? Kirby Young says she's heard from many residents concerned about sidewalk maintenance and encourages them to make sure their voices are heard by everyone at City Hall. Jill Bennett, Global News. A flood warning to property owners in the Okanagan Similkameen. District officials say the snowpack across the South Okanagan is 29% above average for this time of year. Between runoff and the possibility of heavy rainfall, 760 million cubic liters of water, 50% more than what's normally expected, could enter local lakes and rivers this spring and early summer. Another determining factor will be when the warm weather arrives. For months, residents of a West Kelowna mobile home park haven't received any mail. And as Darian Matassa-Fung reports, it doesn't appear Canada Post will resume delivery anytime soon. I haven't gotten my mail delivered here since October. For months now, residents at a mobile home park in West Kelowna have not received their mail. And they say they have no idea when the problem will be fixed. What's going to happen if they're going to come this month, next month, in two months? Absolutely no idea. Last December, Jubilee Mobile Home Park had its mailboxes broken into, and Canada Post deemed the mailboxes not secure enough to continue mail delivery. When Global News reached out to Canada Post in December, it issued this statement. The mailboxes are in need of repairs and mail cannot and will not be delivered. The mailboxes are privately owned and that it's the responsibility of the property management to repair them. Residents have been forced to make a 40-minute round trip by car to pick up their mail from downtown Kelowna. It's been impossible. I haven't done it. I've done it uh, twice, I think. Uh, Went third time and they told me it was being sent back just because it takes me so long. Adding to the inconvenience, the mail office is only open on weekdays and only from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. People are working, so it's honestly... When are you supposed to do it? Residents say the lack of communication between them and the property management company has led to frustration. 
pad rent increases, we get that. Something that's important like this, we're not getting any communication. And so I think it's too much of a disconnect and yeah, we just can't trust the information that we do get. Residents had seen a notice saying the new mailboxes would be installed in seven weeks, but that time period has come and gone. Repeated attempts to contact the park's management company were unsuccessful. Darian Matasafan, Global News, West Kelowna. Cell phones aren't just communication devices anymore. They're an extension of ourselves, but they're also a huge distraction. And that's especially true for kids. So you can imagine how some are feeling after a middle school outside of Victoria announced it's banning cell phones in the classroom. Unless, of course, they're for learning. Kristen Robinson has more. Soon, this may be the only place these greater Victoria kids will be able to take a selfie during school hours. I'm just going to hate this. Grade 6 student Vienna Wig doesn't hate the new rules. And others are really, well not really mad, but kind of annoyed because they would like to use their phones all the time. Starting in March, Langford's Dunsmere Middle School will ban students from using cell phones during instructional time unless teachers decide to use the devices for learning. It's better for your mental health to be unplugged. Um, it's better for your social skills to be unplugged. It's a policy some schools in the province have already adopted. And Ontario classrooms have been device-free since last November. But BC still has no plans to follow Ontario's province-wide ban. I don't think that the school districts typically welcome blanket edicts uh, that are centrally dictated from the Ministry of Education. Leaving teachers to implement best practices. In this family, the students are split. He thinks that it's too much too fast because they basically had no restrictions and now it's a complete restriction. I feel like it's a good thing because it's harder to interact with people when they have access to their phones. No access means no calls home during emergency situations like school lockdowns. And some say that would help reduce the spread of false information. When students are texting their parents and those, it causes a mass panic. And schools are pretty good about contacting parents saying, here's what we know, here's what to do. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Today marks a very Canadian anniversary. It's Flag Day, a day to mark the history of our national flag. A little rain didn't stop people from celebrating Flag Day today at the Bloedel Conservatory in Vancouver, the highest point in the city. On this day in 1965, the Maple Leaf was raised for the first time on Parliament Hill in Ottawa. And in 1996, National Flag Day was declared. Each year, it's a chance to reflect on the symbol that hopefully unites Canadians. I emigrated here in 1973, and I can honestly say that's the best thing I ever did. And with having that fabulous flag behind us, wherever we go in the world, everybody knows we're from Canada. It's a popular pastime, and it was huge during the Vancouver Olympics, trading and collecting souvenir pins. Almost every country and corporate sponsor had an official pin or pins, and there are people who collected them by the hundreds during the Games one decade ago this week. There's even a club that meets several times a year. Well, today, some collectors gather to trade, to buy, and to sell at Creekside Community Center. I like the Aboriginal stuff. And I like the rare stuff. That, that really keeps me in the hunt 
for some of the rare stuff, like the Coke torch relay pin, for example. Only about 300 of those were made of each province, so they're very hard to find. After Vancouver, I went with my daughter, we went to London, and we spent five weeks in London, and after that, had a great time. You meet lots of people, you meet athletes, and it's amazing. Well, Valentine's Day may be over, but one of Vancouver Aquarium's residents is still breaking hearts. Have a look. Literally breaking hearts. That's Hardy the Otter taking several cracks at an icy seafood hard heart on Friday. The frozen treats filled with fish fillet and shrimp paste, they're a hit with the marine mammals. Hardy was found swimming alone with no sign of his mother back in June of 2017. He now makes the aquarium his home. And have a look at this. Manitoba Hydro employee Sean Kirchman took this footage when he noticed a family of lynx peeking out from the trees at a frozen highway near Grand Rapids last month. At first, you see the mother lynx with her brood of four come out from the forest. Mom eventually looks behind her and makes sure that the kids are making it across safely, and they eventually do. But then Kirschman pans over and we see this, two more kittens cautiously following behind and finally, eventually, reaching the other side. A senior official at China's National Health Commission says the COVID-19 epidemic is at the most critical moment and remains a top priority. Health officials say it's a good sign that the number, the increased number of confirmed cases in some provinces have had a continuous decline for the last 10 days. But in some areas, the numbers are still increasing rapidly. They say that Wuhan, the city at the center of the outbreak, will erect more field hospitals to take on all of the confirmed and suspected cases. A Chinese tourist in France has died, marking Europe's first COVID-19 death. The illness has claimed more than 1,500 lives and infected more than 67,000 worldwide. The Chinese government has reported 2,641 new cases in a 24-hour period through midnight on Friday. That's a major drop from the highest number of the at the pace, highest numbers of the last week, ever since a broader diagnostic method was put in place. We're encouraged that the steps China has taken to contain the outbreak at its source appear to have bought the world time, even though those steps have come at greater cost to China itself. The U.S. ambassador to Cambodia has praised the nation for allowing a cruise ship to dock there after being turned away at five other ports in Asia. Thailand, Japan, Taiwan, the Philippines and Guam had earlier turned the ship away because they feared its passengers and crew could spread the coronavirus. After being stranded at sea for two weeks, the MS Westerdam was allowed by the Cambodian prime minister to dock for what he said were humanitarian reasons. The world is grappling right now with a public health challenge. Um, the one thing I can say is we're very, very grateful that Cambodia has opened literally its ports and its doors to people in need. We think this sends a strong message. The U.S. government says of the 1,455 passengers on board, more than 600 are American citizens. Malaysian health officials say a 83-year-old American female passenger tested positive for the virus. She was among 145 passengers who were flown to Malaysia on Friday. 
And 285 people on board the Diamond Princess docked in at Yokohama, Japan, have now tested positive for the virus. The U.S. Embassy in Japan says Americans on board the quarantine ship will be flown home on a chartered flight on Sunday. All of them will be quarantined for another two weeks in the U.S. Canadian healthcare workers are now in Japan assisting 15 Canadians on board the ship who have contracted the virus. And a man vacationing in Hawaii has been diagnosed with COVID-19. State health officials say the Japanese citizen visited Maui and Oahu earlier this month. He began to have cold-like symptoms while in Oahu. He stayed at the Hilton Grand Waikiki in Waikiki. He tested positive when he returned to Japan on February 7th. Our focus is who this person might have sit, sat down with, talk, had conversation with. Those are the kind of things that we're looking for. Iran's foreign minister made a brief appearance at a Canadian-hosted meeting today as international officials push for more cooperation and transparency after last month's fatal plane downing. Canada's foreign affairs minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, hosted the meeting in Germany. Canada and its allies pressed Iran to take steps towards resolving many outstanding questions, including releasing the black boxes from the crash site so the data can be analyzed in France. Other ministers from Britain, Sweden, Afghanistan and Ukraine also attended. Those countries all lost citizens five weeks ago when Iranian missiles shot down a Ukrainian jetliner, killing all 176 people on board, including 57 Canadians. At least two people are dead in England as another fierce storm bears down on the United Kingdom. Hurricane winds and massive waves are roaring across the North Atlantic where Storm Dennis has landed. Britain's army has been deployed to help shore up defenses. Hundreds of flights and trains have been cancelled. At least 60 flood warnings have been issued through the UK. Last weekend, at least seven people died from the storm Kira. And parts of Europe are also being pounded by a second week of monster storms causing flight delays and cancellations. Forecasters say the storms that are roaring across the continent with hurricane force winds could have also reached over, could cause waves that reach over 30 meters high. In health matters, organizers of the Tokyo Olympics and the International Olympic Committee say there are no plans to cancel or relocate the summer games in the wake of the global coronavirus outbreak. This year's games are set to begin on July 24th, and today rehearsals were held for the torch relay. But questions about the spread of COVID-19 dominated a two-day visit to Tokyo by an IOC inspection team. The outbreak, which has been centered in Wuhan, China, has already forced the cancellation of many sporting events in that country, including some Olympic qualifying competitions. The IOC says it's working with health officials in Japan and the World Health Organization to protect athletes, sporting officials and spectators. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. How soldiers in Australia are on the front lines of koala care as their country recovers from the bushfire crisis. We're going to have that story for you right after the forecast. And Yvonne, it's the kind of story that makes me want to sign up. <laughs> you and I both.
Yeah. I'd be happy to volunteer if you we got bet. the opportunity. <laughs> All right, Colleen, we started off uh, with some wet weather for the long weekend. It is really going to start to improve. And I wanted to start off with this photo. A few, a few spots across the province today seeing some bright spots. This is in the Caribou region for the central interior. Warren capturing the sunset this evening in Green Lake. So a fantastic shot. We are going to see some nice breaks, and it's really for the latter half of the weekend. A quick glance at what we're seeing right now. Out of the airport reporting dry conditions. Temperatures are sitting at 6. The high today was between 7 and 8 degrees. That's where we should be for this time of the year. And the winds are reporting light right now, northeasterly at 9 kilometers per hour. Here's what we are going to see this evening, though. A bit of a break in the action. It is going to ease off. But in behind it, we've got a weak trough that we're anticipating through the day for tomorrow. And the instability is there for many areas across the south coast, especially the islands, seeing the risk of thunderstorms in the morning across Metro Vancouver and leading in towards the afternoon. We have the possibility for some hail, and then it'll start to ease off, especially as we approach the evening. It'll be much drier if you do have plans for Saturday night. Tomorrow and through the day, we are going to see higher elevations, wet flurries, Westwood Plateau, SFU will be included within that, and then it'll start to ease off if you're traveling along the mountain passes this evening, still tracking some snowfall. So overnight, Temperatures down to 4 degrees. Instability will be through the day tomorrow, so the potential is there, especially for Metro Vancouver, to see the risk of hail and then easing off as we approach the afternoon. Most areas, though, it's the mountain passes that we're still seeing that snowfall this evening. The Coquihalla from Hope to Merritt, 10 and up to 20 centimetres. The Kootenay and Rogers Pass, 5 and up to 10. Lesser amounts will be for the Pine Pass and Allison Pass and the Connector still this evening, 5 and up to 10 centimetres. Most of the mountain passes will start to see the snow easing off through the day on Sunday. The drier day will be on Monday, but check in with Drive BC with the latest road conditions. The piece tomorrow, dry, wind chill, chilly at minus 29. A few flurries popping up on Monday for family day. Whitehorse, the wind chill will be closer to minus 36 for the morning. Also a few isolated flurries, dry for the afternoon, and then sunshine kicking in for both Monday and Tuesday. The northern half of the province, the coast, will see the risk of thunderstorms developing as early as the overnight Continuing through the day, inland areas near Terrace could see a few flurries and then changing over to showers. Drier conditions for Monday and some sunshine on Tuesday. Caribou and central interior, snow beginning for the morning, 2 and up to 4 centimetres through the day. Winds with gusts of up to 40 kilometres per hour. Monday looks to be dry with a fair bit of cloud cover and then some sunshine moving in on Tuesday. Columbia and Kootenay will see some flurries changing over to showers. It's really higher elevations that will see flurries through the day and the tops in Okinawa. Mainly cloudy skies, the winds tomorrow picking up with gusts of up to 40, on and off flurries, especially for the morning hours, much drier come the afternoon. Whistler, a chilly one in the morning, minus 5, bundle up, a few flurries, isolated, especially for the morning and early afternoon. Risk of hail, even a thunderstorm across the island tomorrow, so we've got lots of instability. A heads up, wet flurries will be for higher elevations, and then on Monday to round off the long weekend, great timing, Colleen. We're back into some sunshine, Tuesday, Wednesday also look fantastic, and then Thursday we could see a change on the way. So we just need to get through tomorrow. Risk of thunderstorms and the possibility of hail. Back to you. Okay. Thanks so much, Yvonne. As we've been telling you lately, Australia is finally getting some much-needed rain following those deadly wildfires. And as the country recovers, a new mission for their military, nursing injured koalas. You could call them Australia's koala corps. When they're not fighting fires, these Australian soldiers spend their downtime cuddling koalas, feeding them, even helping to build them new homes. Most of these baby bears, called joeys, were rescued from the fire-scorched Kangaroo Island and brought here to South Australia's Cleland Wildlife Park. And now we are here helping out, um, helping Cleland 
build this enclosure behind us which is fantastic and also we're, we're helping out feed the, um, the koala joeys. So three times a day, uh, soldiers are coming here and, and feeding the joeys. It's a mission that still requires camouflage, a few decoys, and the occasional marsupial massage. <laughs> but there's hope on Australia's horizon. For the first time in six months, Australia's fires are under control in the country's most populous state. Not all fires are out, but all fires are contained, so we can really focus on helping people rebuild. That won't be easy. Since last September, fires have destroyed nearly 30 million acres of bushland, killed 33 people, and slaughtered about a billion animals. Now the same soldiers who helped subdue Australia's bushfires hope to nurture their nation back to health. Matt Bradley, NBC News. That is the best mission they have ever had. They're little babies. They're so cute. All right, what are you going to do to top that? It's tough to follow, I was going to say. Never, <laughs> never, never follow puppies or any cute small, animals. Cute animals. Uh, Canucks are uh, off today, tonight. They play tomorrow against Anaheim, but a lot of scoreboard watching going on because uh, the, the race is so tight in the West, so we'll have highlights of some of the NHL action going on. Just seven weeks to go in the regular season, so... It's it feels on. like it's just it's, it is on right in a now. Blink. Yeah, it goes by quickly, and now the it, every game just means every, so much. Oh, and you so bet. There's some good losses, good, some good scoreboard for the Canucks, some good, some bad. Find some ways to spruce up your home at the BC Home and Garden Show. From kitchen and baths to flooring and more, find new ideas and inspiration from the over 200 home improvement companies and hear tips from HGTV celebrity contractor Brian Baumler. Help lift each other up online by taking part in Pink Shirt Day presented by Alpine Credits. Support the CKW Kids Fund by buying your pink shirt at London Drugs, then wear it on February 26th to spread the kindness on the street and online. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Welcome back. The BCHL has 17 franchises province-wide, none of which are in Kitimat, but that's where two BCHL teams are meeting this weekend to help promote the league. Jay Janauer is also there and has a special guest. The BC Hockey League Roadshow in full swing up here in Kitimat. Day two, we've had two days full of hockey clinics. Tonight, we finally get the big game between the Prince George Spruce Kings and the Langley Rivermen. Has this exceeded your expectations two days in, Chris? Well, Kitimat has done an unbelievable job of organizing it. Uh, I, I think the teams have had a good time. We've been in the schools, we've done the clinics, and uh, now it's time to play hockey. So, pretty exciting. Yesterday, I was chatting with a gentleman who drove in from Prince Rupert, made the two-and-a-half-hour commute so his son could come here and take part in the free clinic. But there are people from the entire northern region who are here. Yeah, that's what we were hoping for, that the whole northwest would hear about it, and, and uh, especially kids that have a, a, a hockey future that would want to come and see some of the best players of uh, the 16 to 20-year-old age group. And, uh, yeah, I know there's some people from my hometown, Prince Rupert, here, here, and uh, even from Kitwonga, and we're really happy to see it uh, draw from so far away. This is the first time that you have done something like this. I'm hoping it's not the last. Yeah, for, for us, this is the first of many. And uh, having uh, LNG Canada come in and sponsor us to move into Kitimat with the first one has been uh, just the, the kickoff we needed. And uh, it's our intention to bring the BCHL to a lot of communities around the province. There you go, Barry, breaking news. We're going to see more of the road shows courtesy of the BC Hockey League. Prince George Spruce Kings taking on the Langley Rivermen. And yes, we'll have highlights on tonight's News Hour Final. All right, thanks, guys. NBA All-Star Weekend skills contest tonight. Pascal Siakam in the skills challenge. Involves dribbling the length of the court, then making a pass, then 
down to the other end for a layup, and then you have to hit the three. Now, Siakam won his first heat against the Clippers' Patrick Beverly, but he lost in the semis to the eventual winner, Bam Adebayo of the Heat, who ended up uh, winning it all. Next event, the three-point contest. Kyle Lowry, the Raptors, not in the field. It was Sacramento Kings' Buddy Heald in the finals. Needs to beat out the Suns' Devin Booker. Came down to the last rack. Lots of pressure. Ultimately, the final shot had to make it, and he did to win the three-point contest. Still to come, the slam dunk contest tonight. We'll have highlights of that at 11. Third round at the Genesis Invitational from Riviera in Los Angeles. Tough day for the host, Tiger Woods. Had a four-putt double bogey and then missed another short one on his final hole. Five over 76. Tiger is fifth last at five over. Rory McIlroy, newly minted world number one this week, will take the lead with this birdie putt at 13. Gets to 11 under. Rory Playing well this week, and Matt Kuchar, who led the tournament after the first and second round. Difficult downhill breaker here at 17, but that goes down, and he ties McElroy for the lead at 10 under, but they've got company at the top. Australia's Adam Scott with a birdie at 18, so Scott, Kuchar, and McElroy lead at 10 under. Adam Hadwin is eight shots back at two under. EPL action, last place Norwich City taking on first place Liverpool, a lopsided mismatch on paper, but Norwich hung tough until the 78th. Jordan Henderson, fabulous ball to Sadio Mane, who fires short side. 1-0 Liverpool, the final. 25 wins and one draw through 26. Can they go unbeaten in their final 12 matches? That would be incredible. Liverpool, with a staggering 25-point lead, could clinch the EPL title as early as mid-March, which is like eight weeks before the end of the season. Well, last night was the triumphant return for the Singh brothers, who were part of the WWE's first TV show in Vancouver in 17 years. Gervin Harb are from Burnaby and had a chance to perform in front of their hometown fans. The boys took part in the uh, 205 live show. They came out to a, a tremendous roar as they entertained with their Bollywood gimmick, which has been very successful the last year. The brothers even represented their home city by donning Canucks jerseys. But this is the WWE, and they are villains where anything can happen, and it did last night at Rogers Arena. Hey, hey, we'll do you one better. I've wanted to do this for a long time. Wayne Gretzky also called me and he told me, you know, it's okay to cheer for a winning team as long as they have won a Stanley Cup. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> oh, I love it. The epic hometown heel turn perfectly crafted. As, uh, no one saw that one coming. The secret it out. It was great. All part of the show. They are big Canucks fans. What a truly special night for both of them. And uh, they are friends of the show. They've been around here forever. Of course, they ended up losing in spectacular fashion. But that's the, that's the way of wrestling. And be our first story on these guys back in 2011. They've made it all the way to the WWE. So great to see it. Although, you know, as, is, as you can see it, they do take a bit of a beat. They do. But it's all in fun. It's a rough sport. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Barry. Uh, listen, we've got some breaking news. The Canadian government says it will be evacuating Canadians who are stuck on board the Diamond Princess cruise ship have been stuck since February 5th. It comes after more now than 285 people on the ship have tested positive for COVID-19. Tonight, the government announcing it will be chartering a plane to take the 255 Canadians 
off the ship that's docked off Yokohama, Japan. The plane will then take passengers to the Canadian Forces base in Trenton, where they'll be assessed, then taken to Cornwall, Ontario, for 14 days of quarantine. Fifteen Canadians on board the ship have tested positive for the virus. Here's a look at your snow report for tonight with lots of fresh snow, especially for the local mountains. Four new centimeters for Whistler Blackcomb, 26 new centimeters in the past 24 hours for Grouse, 20 for Cypress and Sasquatch, 18. Manning Park, 11 new centimeters, 10 for Revelstoke, 2 for Fernie, and 1 for Kicking Horse. 15 new centimeters for Big White, 5 for Silver Star, Sun Peaks, 2. Mount Washington, 1 new centimeter, 7 for Whitewater, and 15 new centimeters for Powder King. Okay, we're going to squeeze in one last story tonight. A member of the U.S. Air Force living in Washington State has been reunited with his dog three years after he last saw him. And Wrangler gave him lots of kisses at their Valentine's Day reunion. Their story started 2,000 miles away in Texas, where Ryland Brown left Wrangler with a friend while he was at basic training. Wrangler was just a puppy, but that friend gave Wrangler away. Three years later, Wrangler was one of some 200 animals rescued from a hoarding situation in Houston. The SBCA scanned Wrangler's microchip and tracked him down and brought him to Washington State. Isn't that nice? Great ending. reunion. Happy yes. ending. And thank you for joining us. Have a great night. You got his best.